0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Done Football Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to speak with Essend Shah, the founder of Be Engaged, talking about footballers, brand deals, and the future for his company. Hope you enjoy it. S, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, we've known each other, I guess, probably... I was trying to think about it when I was doing some preparation. I think for over five and a half, six years coming on now where I was actually still at my own old law firm and then we met at my old law firm, I think originally when you were, you'd were, you already been at Nike, you'd, you'd been in another company and before you'd started at, um, at Be Engaged. Um, before we get onto the really cool stuff, I think on all the stuff you're doing at the moment, can you give us a bit of background as to how, and I know you've talked about it in some of the talks we've given as well, how you sort of went from graduate into
1: sports and into sort of what you're doing now yeah cool so it was a bit of a weird journey because when I was in university I always thought I was going to go down the banking economics or uh, management consultant route so that was always a big I guess passion of mine when I was younger looking at how businesses were doing things and how By analysing them, you could kind of recommend for them to do things better, I guess. Um, So I always thought that was kind of going to be my route into my career. But within the first and second year of uni, I did two internships, one at KPMG and one at Barclays, and quickly realised that that wasn't something I was interested in. I wasn't interested in sitting behind a desk all day and crunching numbers or looking through different review forms, etc. So... I kind of hit a bit of a brick wall, and in my third year of uni, I tailored my degree more towards the marketing and kind of branding route. Um, I felt that that was something that I was massively passionate about, looking into different brands and how they position themselves in markets and kind of tell stories. So from there, I then started to work more in, with sports brands, so one being Nike, and within that... I actually realized actually this is a massive passion of mine, combining sports, marketing and business all, all into one element. But you soon realize that actually the sports industry, whether it be brand side or talent rights holders or club side, is one of probably the most difficult industries to get into. So from, from there, I basically started to look into who I knew, who knew someone else. So there's that ultimate layer of your network, that that other person's network and that person's other network. So you're trying to work your own network, but also three other different layers of networks. And within there, you're talking to enough people that you start to get an understanding of what needs to be done or the passion points or the interest points of someone else. Because what I quickly realized was, if I'm not bringing a value to someone, the time versus value proposition for them in talking to me is probably nothing. So why would they give me any time if I'm not bringing them any value? This was in a period of time where social media wasn't very much um, taken up by athletes. Um, I think at the time, Rio Ferdinand was probably the most high profile, most vocal one on social media. And I remember one of the agents that I managed to end up reaching out to and speaking to turned around to me and went, this whole social media fad will die off. So straight away, I started to understand that the perception within the sports market was that social media, marketing, branding wasn't something that the agent would necessarily be interested in. I quickly realized that the agent was more interested in, one, the transfer to the negotiation of the contract and then possibly the boot contract. Outside of that, the idea of commercial deals or anything wasn't high on the radar of an agent it would just be recruiting another player or moving a player from one club to another club um so you're almost fighting a lost battle already because the motivation for those people that are the guardians of the player wasn't very high um what i ended up having to do was try to work with people that understood the value behind it so there was um a company called integrity club who i worked with two guys that were massively passionate about um, the social media side of things. Um, but that, that can only get you so far, the passion side of social media, but then the whole kind of having feet on the ground and really pushing something out there is very, very difficult. Um, so once that didn't quite work out, I was kind of left to my own devices and thought, you know what, there's only one way I'll find out whether this can even work in the industry is if I just do it myself. So nearly four and a half years ago, um, just started off by myself. So bearing in mind, this is two and a half years after I've graduated already. I've kind of, you've probably done all the free internship type of situations that you'd probably need to do to even put yourself out there. I'm now having to start again from that free situation again to really understand whether this element can work within the industry. And it was very quickly by tailing a proposition more towards a commercial angle that the agents and the players start to understand that there is a value here. So by doing social media or by marketing yourself through different avenues can actually lead to an ROI. Once we worked out that model, it was not easy, but it was a lot easier to position a business with that provides a value versus a time investment from an agent to listen to it and actually put it, put it forward. And I'd, I'd probably only say that only in the past 12 months have, has the industry really flipped into a position where everyone is now wanting this service. Before even 2018 World Cup, people still weren't really looking at it. It was only really after that that I've started to realise that more players, more agents, more family members actually turned around and saying we actually need this. So it was an element of right place at the right time, I going through a load of mistakes and learnings um, to then come out of that, to then have a proposition that actually works within the market. But I've always said it, unless you make mistakes, you'll never learn. So if everything was smooth sailing at the start, I don't think I would ever have been able to be in a position now that you can actually have something that people come to you for rather than you having to go to them for. And I'd probably say that's largely down to the generation of players that are coming through as well. That they're the younger generation now brought up on social media. They're the ones that understand that having a self brand and a self-worth off the field can actually reap rewards in a completely different way to just on field rewards. And I th- I feel like whether it's a generation that's just not athletes, so many more people are actually I guess motivated with self-investment in themselves, whether it be mentally, physically, well-being. You can just look at so many different people aged from 13 to 20 that have a completely different approach to life from people aged 20 to 40 at the moment. It's two very different generations. Even if you looked at the environment, for example, how a generation of 30 to 50 completely tackle the environment, difficulties in a completely different way to what 10-year-olds are doing nowadays. It's that woke generation that everyone talks about. But... Is a generation that's kind of here. But I think if we were to look at where I started and where I am now, there are elements of right place at the right time, a lot of learnings along the way, but also having to work and network and really push yourself out there beyond be comfort zones because it's not in everyone's comfort zone to go and network with people. Ninety-nine percent of the population can't do that. But it's really to push yourself out there in a way that you're not comfortable because if you're in your comfort zone, you're never, you're never going to get better, right? So I think I saw one of your posts to focus on being a better you or not to necessarily be the best at something, but be the best at bettering yourself, right? And I think that kind of hits the nail on the head that a lot of people within the industry aren't necessarily amazing at something, but what they will be is their motivation to be better, every time is the part that will probably make them more more successful than not. It's not like being a doctor where if you're the best brain surgeon in the world, you'll naturally get that job in this industry is very much, you have to keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself, pushing yourself. The day that you stop pushing yourself and stop wanting to learn is the day that you will most likely be irrelevant to other people within the industry. And you see it so many, so, so often as well with players that, I guess that phrase of, um, hard work beats talent, it's the case off the field as well, that hard work actually beats the people that are most talented in this industry. So I think that's, from a start to a the finish, they're probably the key points that probably got me to where I was in a position of uncertainty of not knowing what I, what I actually wanted to do. To so a position now where you've got a business with 15 people and working across different territories, having two offices, one here, one in Barcelona, and then having a proposition, I guess, which isn't just what I initially started it out to be, because if we just wanted it to be in one way, probably wouldn't have worked. Having a passion points across different things has probably allowed us to get to where we are now.
0: And if I can just ask them one bit, which is, and it might be that a lot of, a lot of people, and listeners, won't necessarily know what you day, do day to day. When we started working together when you, um, with Integrity Club, The the, the push at the time, at least from my understanding, was more working with talent, um, amplify key messages across their social channels, um, and then um, assist talent with a variety of different digital elements that they might need. And then effectively then when be engaged and came to fruition, um, there was not quite a pivot, but a pivot to a degree in that Realise that as much as doing the social side of things and the, commun- and the comms in a way, that actually the next evolution of exactly you said, the revolution, was how do we work with lots of brands um, to do tons of things, if it's activation, if it's production, if it's content, and that sort of content explosion point happened really. So i would be interesting to hear, just if you're able to, the, um, the view of working really talent-side to almost using talent as the basis for a business model at least if that's up if that's what
1: i've got is right yeah. nice no, but when like i mentioned earlier on when i first looked at the industry it was very much around the talent side of things the management of the talents profile branding um then to build it into a position where they can then commercialize from that and drive an roi but that wasn't from the get-go, that's never been my sole motivation in what I've always wanted to do. I guess my background's always been working with brands or studying brands. I'm very much motivated by what companies do. So if you even revert it back to the that idea that I had around management consultancy, it's still, in theory, the same thing because what we are doing is what well, we want to work with companies and better them but we'll better them through sports marketing or marketing activities through different campaigns around the sporting audience. So one thing for me was, I really wanted to continue that passion and that then led me to the pivot that you mentioned away from just solely talent or athletes. So the I guess the football talent side of things is probably now just 5% of what we do. And 95% of our work now is the brands and the businesses that we work with. Um, so that motivation then drives the business strategy and that business strategy then drives the people that you end up having in your team. And our team is very much built with people that have brand experience. So we've had people that have worked at football clubs to understand how clubs would work around the activations because they're a big stakeholder when we want to activate within the sporting industry. Um, then having people that have worked on brand side, so we've we've got people that have worked as brand managers for UK market for their, their previous employers that are launching global products but how does that then revert back into the UK strategy, so we've ended up building a team which has production elements of it from the sports marketing and the PR side of things but also the partnerships and the talent side of things, so It wasn't something that I thought it would end up where it is today but it's very much our passion points are working with talent to understand the global audiences and how fans react to content building their their brands and commercializing them but also working with brands away from talent so it might not have anything to do with talent we'll just work with them on developing their profiles and developing their campaigns and their brand awareness and their conversion rates so yeah, you are on in kind of the way that you described it, that it did start off one way, but in the back of my mind, I've always had this kind of urge to do this. So hence why we pivoted when we did about two years ago to really move into this space where we can actually do a variety of different things without having to rely on one certain type of customer client.
0: So two things I'd be really interested to hear more about because I know we've talked about it at length. The first is um, about how how you've gone about building business and effectively um, demonstrating value on the brand side as one element, and then we can talk about another bit. Which is, you know, I know we don't want to talk about particular players or whatever else it might be, but I want to highlight the fact that you know one of the I think huge success stories that you've been a major part of is. Um, the the longevity and authenticity of someone like Hector um, at Arsenal, build you know building obviously with with him and his interests, demonstrating you know from starting out as a eighteen year old uh, Watford and then a, a Arsenal as well, um, to captain of um, Arsenal at the moment as well. He's obviously renowned for his on field work, but he's got a huge amount of off field personality, interests, things that he wants to say, particular ways that he fronts up on fashion or ecology or you know, health and diet and all that type of stuff. So if I could maybe just first go on, because I know a lot of people would be interested on the brand side, which is how did you go about effectively then from a standing start to be like, okay, we're a business that can help you, the brand. How did you go about telling that story and networking and explaining that was something that you would really be able to help um, brands with?
1: Yeah, so from the beginning, it was all about showing a value. So same way, I guess, we approached it with the athletes or the talent, it was, right, okay, cool. What, what is our value proposition? If our value proposition is building a profile for an athlete and communicating it to a sporting audience and then commercializing it, How does that then relate back to a brand? And we then started to look at the activations that we were doing through the athletes with the brands and actually showcasing to them, this is how we would probably activate it for you. Once we started to identify our value within that space, it was building the trust within their team, i.e. the brand's team, to allow us to do activations on behalf of the player and the brand. Once we start to get involved within that, you then start to build content and I guess you have a case study that you can then start to show other businesses. Our first one was Puma. It was always going to be Puma because we had a talent that was very highly regarded with, with them and Hector and his personality and trying to do things differently. So as soon as we started to work with Humour on different content strands and content pieces and how to tell stories in a completely different way to what the sporting audience had always been traditionally used to seeing. I, athlete, holding boot, picture, post on social, you move on. We started to completely show it in a very different way to what the traditional football fan would be used to seeing. And that was a risk for Puma as well, but they started then started to see the benefits behind that. That's not to say that's just because of us doing it, that's because of one, the talent, the talent is able to carry off what the vision is for the campaign. And also the brand, the brand's, I guess, values align with what the athlete's trying to do, what we're trying to communicate. Um, From there, we then started to pick up, I guess, strong case studies with Puma, and using those case studies to then demonstrate how the brands and how we can replicate that back to their audience. And our key thing was always understanding the audience, understanding the brand values, and the synergies between athlete or club and brand. Once you can, once we started to demonstrate that, the brand started to take us very seriously, and I, you guys understand how to build profiles, how to build brands, or convert consumers from just awareness through to whatever KPI they may have. Um, that was probably the key turning point for us in proving the work. Everyone can talk, talk the game, but as soon as we really flipped it in the sense of, right, we will do this for you at a very cheaper rate than what most other agencies would do, which is a risk for any business to come in and go, we will do this work for less than cost price. It's, it's a massive risk, right? But it was having that belief in, in you and the team that you guys are able to deliver it. From there, then we started to pick up a number of different brands, and it was always around campaign storytelling, content production, building assets for them to then retail through different offline or online channels. And That word of mouth, or
0: was that just deliberate um, content generation with a view of saying, look what we've done for this brand, look how we've done this, how we've done this in a slightly different way? therefore or was the the stuff at that point then organically coming into you of brands or people effectively saying you know
1: come can you help with us at at the start probably for the first year whilst we were doing the branded side of things it was very much we were having to work our network we were having to go out there reach out to people show them um, the work that we'd been working on why it was done in that way pitch them and really go through the traditional process of like, I guess a sales process mm-hmm. that was very much what we had to do within the first year. So we started to see the same cycle though with the athletes and the brands that our athlete strategy now is that we will only work with the people that we deem that you can build a brand for. It's not a case of us just working with any athlete. We only want to work with the ones that have the right attitude, the right personality, the right attributes to become an I guess, a personality or brand off the field. Um, then with the brands, it was the case of, right, let's reach out to those that we know we can provide a value for. Let's not reach out to those that we can't. For example, we can't provide a value to Pepsi or Coca-Cola. They will use mass global agencies that work out their strategies from a business level, not just a sports marketing level. So let, let's go to the ones that actually make sense for us. Um, I'd only say it was probably in about August, September time last year, so that's probably two years on from when we started it, that it started to become word of mouth. So you've then seen probably a two, two and a half year process of you having to build case studies, build your name, build an awareness of what you are doing to, to for it to then to be word of mouth. So at the moment, we we do have a fair number of inbound inquiries or repeat business from different Entity. So someone may leave one company, go to the other company, the word of mouth, then moves to that company to say, oh yeah, we did this with so-and-so. So I'd recommend to use them. So, and we started to build like a small little niche for us where when it comes to sports activation and sports campaigns around building the content, the production side of things, understanding athletes, understanding sports audiences, understanding brands, but also understanding the need of all of those stakeholders and how you can find a common I guess objective for all of them to then end up making content or a campaign that works for them. But it, as any business, is very very tough. It's not. I might make it sound, I guess, a bit easy because I'm trying to like condense, I guess, four or five years worth of work into um, a few sentences. But it is very hard for you to go from point A of having an idea of, to then someone buying into that idea. And then that one person then turning into 15 other people. Those 15 other people turning into 100 different people. I remember that that first year when we first hit, I guess six figures. That was kind of our target, and I was, you're kind of blown away by it. But now, when you look back at it, you're right, right, okay, cool. That was in theory very easy to get. Now, how do you then build that into a 10 years worth of growth? It's, it's challenging. But if you have the right people around you that really believe in vision really believe in you as a person that's I guess asking them to trust trust you with their careers it's it's something that takes a long time to build and not something that I guess is built overnight we're now in our fourth year so we're fourth year in and probably still I'd say another five to six away from where we know we can be so having those people to stay with you and really grow with you is a massive thing and their ability to want to learn and better themselves because if you're growing like that and your team's growing like that there's a kind of disparity between the two so you kind of need to address readdress that balance through either the line that's going that way or the line that's going that way one of the two has to give it's not sustainable but if you have people or a team that want to grow faster than you want to grow, there's also a problem that they may want to leave and go somewhere else. So trying to meet ambitions of the company and the team and the stakeholders involved is massively vital in, I guess, having a sustainable business, not just a business that grow, skyrockets in one or two years and then after that flatlines. It's those people that helped you skyrocket won't be there afterwards. So it's it's like a very difficult balance between that all.
0: Yeah. So- the, the next bit, S, uh, sorry, for the, it was the second part of that question, which was basically, obviously, it's just it's interesting to know how the, or more or less the, the brand side of the business works. But at the same time, there's obviously a number of core players that you work with, a number of really interesting core players that you work with to activate on the brand and talent side as well. I'd just be fascinated to know about how, For a couple of examples, maybe, you know, this seems like it's been a long-term strategic process to get player from A to B. And we're not talking about on-field success. We're talking about off-field brand. Mm -hmm. I know everyone hates using brand like it's some dirty word, but actually one of the most fantastic things that I've seen throughout is your progression from working with particular players and effectively putting in place a long-term strategy to, to achieve what they actually want to achieve after they their game, to.
1: Yeah, no, I guess for us, it's always been about the long, long-term objective or what's the end goal at the end of trying to do something. So you you'll go through a briefing process with a number of different people and they'll always say, yeah, I want to do X, Y, and Z, but a lot of them fall into short-term goals uh, I want to do this, after you've probably ticked that and achieved that, what what is it that you want? And I, I guess our job is to dive deeper into it and understand the root meaning behind all of this. What Why is it that you want to do this? So I guess one of the things that people probably get annoyed at me quite a lot about is I keep asking why. So I really want to get to the core why of, why someone wants to do something. And that's the most important thing when building a brand or marketing something is to truly understand what the core reason behind it is because you always have surface reasons, but then dive deeper into it. And once you can dive deeper into it, you can then actually identify and work out a long-term strategy behind someone. So if, if I look back at Hector, for example, like you used him as an example, seven years ago sitting down with him and understanding why he wants to do things. You're, it's very difficult to sit down with a seventeen and eighteen year old and ask them about life ambitions. They may not know what they want to do next week or next month, let alone in, in ten or twelve years' time. But you may come across one of one of two or three gems in a time period where they actually identify, I want I want To do this and here's why i want to do it so that may be a family reason from what their family have come through or that might be a personal reason to something that they're massively passionate about and then putting in place something that they can then work to a lot of people especially in sport always want something tomorrow 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 or today 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 but having the understanding and the agreement with someone that this is a long-term strategy there will be battles along the way and especially when we look at i guess the fashion space six seven years ago and in sport it was very very different people didn't want to see footballers wear something different people didn't want to see footballers outspoken about something else but now it's the norm now you've got campaigns run by so many different media publications to look into who's the best dressed footballer who's this who's that and six seven years ago that was non-existent so you're almost trying to battle a change and you can't win. I guess at in that period of time there was, there was Hector, there was Serge Gnabry, there was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I, I guess I'd put those three at the top that massively tried to embark on this journey and I think Hector's massively pulled through it in terms of I think it's more down to him than anyone else because of the personality he is and the type of things that he's always been willing to bend over to do that most I guess athletes wouldn't do, they'd fall into the trap of, I'm so-and-so, so so-and-so should do this for me. And I remember the Louis Vuitton, um catwalk in Paris, he was treated as if any other model. So although Virgil Pueblo wanted him, he wanted him to be part of it, he still had to turn up 9am when the show was 4pm. And it was like, right, how do we keep someone entertained and engaged in that? So that comes down to the, I guess, that personality or being able to manage that person, which was, right, okay, cool, here's an iPad, here's Netflix, can you just sit here and just watch these things for a period of time? I'm going to go sort this out and come back. Most other people you probably couldn't do that with. So it's really understanding that person and what they're able to do, but then have that person's trust to say, okay, cool, if we're going to go down this route, here's the reasons why the more we can justify and actually show the reasons behind it. I I think, for me, the more they understand. So Hector and Sturgeon, two very similar people, and I put and Brewster in this as well, that a young player that has probably had a lot from a very young age and has kind of hit the highs at a very young age as well, that his personality hasn't changed with it. So being able to explain to those three individuals, how things work and why things are like this and having their trust to say, okay, yeah, it is like this. We will do this. Or, okay, cool. If you think that this will do this, we'll do this. But on the flip hand, you can have so many different types of cases where people go, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. So as soon as people start to put barriers in their own journey, that's ultimately their, their decision. But you can only work to, I guess the path that they create for you. And if I, if I looked at Hector, Serge, Ria, they've very much looked looked at it and gone, okay, I will try to clear the path as much as possible for you to do your work, to allow me to then do my work on the pitch so that I can then, once I, I can deter away from kind of my day job and I can come to a hobby or a passion of mine, you've built a path for me to then flourish in it. Whereas so many others will say, I want to be known within the gaming space or I want to be known for this but then okay can you do a twitch stream for us no okay well you just put a barrier in, in the first place and that's kind of impossible to move past so coming back to the point that I was mentioned earlier on that really identifying the person first is massive for me because if the person isn't willing to jump on the journey then you can do all the work in the world that you want it, it won't ever succeed so I, I think Building a strategy is always dependent on the two or three or four or five people involved in it. It's more about the people than the ambition. The ambition can be as high as it can possibly be, but or low as possible. Low as possible. But if that person doesn't open up the gateways for you to achieve that, it's very difficult. And can I ask one other
0: bit? Because I get this quite a lot of the time as well. And obviously, I'm pretty at the same time um, defensive. When it comes to my clients and the people that i work pretty closely with is that you always get this strange narrative in the media maybe more mainstream media which is um why footballers or talent people doing different things apart from the stuff that they do for maybe two or three hours a week on a football pitch or another hour or so per day on a training ground like somehow because they're um they've got outside interests like ecology or diet or fashion or computer games or whatever else it might be that somehow that's a distraction or is an undue distraction. I'm I'm always fascinated by that narrative because it just seems so artificial and I'm sure you must get that all the time. You must get that perspective and ha- it, to me it seems so artificial that it's almost not worth the discussion but I'm interested how you sort of bat it off and how
1: how you try and rationalize it yourself. I think the modern media space is built off of controversy right so whether we looked at politics sport, or whatever it might be it's always built in a way to drive traffic and if a if a piece is positive around someone trying to do something they don't drive as much traffic as if someone's trying to i guess slate someone so the media i guess the media shift that we've had by not listening to any of these kind of points has allowed for people to actually understand that actually we can berate this guy as much as we want, he's not gonna listen to us. So they then stop, move on and move off to someone else. And then what people actually then start to do is, what our objective always is, is, for other people to be brand advocators of yours, to talk about you without you having to talk about yourself. Just because you don't see on social media someone do extra training doesn't mean that they're not doing extra training. Nine times out of 10, most of them are. But what the clubs will do is as well stop them from doing that because of the workload that they have to do. Most teams are playing two, twice a week. You're probably getting one day off in a month. So to keep you sane, to keep you, I guess, active outside of 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., you've still got 2 p.m. till, I guess, 8 p.m. again. So in those six hours, what are you going to do? You need to do something. Same way that a normal person, if they go to a job, they're finishing far later and doing their job for a far longer time. But how many people come home They'll go on PlayStation or Xbox, play gaming because that's a hobby of theirs. Or they'll do drawing, painting. They'll go to pot- pottery classes or whatever it might be. Everyday people still do other hobbies outside to keep their mental well-being and kind of. Are you go to pottery out. classes? Is that what you're saying? No, I did try it once, but <laughs> it didn't work out for me. Um, but it is that thing that people do activities outside there's only so much strain someone's body can take within that period of time and I remember when Hector did his ACL we were speaking to the surgeon the surgeon was saying when he first started out doing ACL injuries I think 25 years ago he did 2,000 in in a 12-month period now his um, clinical surgery is doing about 25,000 every 12 months so you can see the impacts that schedules are having on people that those schedules now mean that clubs, sports, conditioning coaches are telling people to do less outside of the training ground. So what you meant to do at that time? You, you do that, right? But I think the narrative, trying to change that narrative is very, very difficult. So I remember when Hector first went vegan, we had the narrative of, I think, Alan Brazil saying that he needs to eat steaks, this, that, and the other. Now people have switched it in the terms of, oh, look, there's a positive behind this because he's doing X, Y, Z, right? So... Our job, for, I guess, from a media team when those things happen is to change that narrative. And how do we change that narrative? We change it through different works or kind of messaging out to the public that it's not just because of this, but here's all the positives, X, Y, and Z, but then getting a community of different people to jump onto it. So I guess you would have seen recently with a highest variety piece where they called Serge one of the coolest footballers in, in the world they're saying that, he's not having to say that. So changing that dynamic, especially in the German market, which is very hard, where the German football fan just expects you to not have social media, go to training, do your game, and literally do nothing at home. It's very difficult for someone like Serge, who's very, I guess, personable. He has ambitions to do other things. He's very community driven. He's very much into his fashion and society and kind of the same brand values. So. Then trying to educate a German audience on this is very, very difficult. So we'll kind of face those same battles that we had here in the UK with Hector. But it is something that is always going to be there. I don't think that will ever change. But it's about being able to kind of take away the blurred noises and really see through what the objective is. Again, coming back to that pathway, if they closed off at the first negative article, they shouldn't be a footballer because they're going to get thousands of negative articles whether they're on the pitch. And I'm sure hearing abuse from someone in a stadium or as you're walking out of the stadium or driving home or whatever, I'm sure that's going to hurt you way more than someone telling you you shouldn't be wearing clothes in the way that you wear clothes. But it is what it is. But you are right. You do get defensive sometimes. We need to just remember that they're they're just doing their job at the end of the day, which is to drive revenue for their media platform and that's what they're doing if they were to sit there and say oh look how amazing this person is going to click on it yeah
0: correct correct and that's sometimes the thing that i I know put in the book a lot a lot actually with your help on some of the image rights and commercial and marketing side which in my mind is like sometimes you got to look behind beyond the story um, and and looking beyond the story which is not necessarily what you're reading but why it's being written and the approach it's being written usually sooner rather than later you get to probably understand sometimes the the different dynamics at play, if it's footballing ability, if it's non-footballing ability. Um, I always find that sometimes fascinating to be able to to understand the, the, the slight nuances of it all, which is um, maybe a podcast for another day as well. But last question before we go, if that's all right. Um, one of the questions I'm always asking uh, in this rather unprecedented time at the moment is um, because I know we always talk generally about what books we're reading, what people are consuming, what podcasts you're listening to. Is there anything particularly that you've enjoyed um, recently whilst you've had a little bit more downtime? I know obviously as an owner of a business, it's a difficult time but generally what is it that's um, inspired you, kept that creativity up um, and found some inspiration in different ways?
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird one because. Strangely, I found more time whilst we were kind of in a normal world to read and listen to podcasts more. At the moment, I haven't had too much time, but there's a Matthew Said book, I think. It's down here somewhere. The Rebel um, Ideas. Yeah, Rebel Ideas, because yeah. the concept of that is to really change the way you approach your thinking, right? So your ideas, just because they're different don't doesn't mean that they're wrong. So And especially in this period of time where, I guess, as a creative, you can come up with far more ideas is something that's quite interesting to read that, how to use ideas in a completely different way. So at the moment I'm reading Matthew Saeed's Rebel Ideas, but also what I found quite interesting is so many people's different thought leadership articles online and reading through them and really understanding why people are analysing things in a certain way, because at the moment, I guess my, my job is less so more about, I guess, broadening my mind and more so about protecting something and making, making sure that we're in the right position, that come whenever it is that we're able to fly from it. So really understanding and analysing different people's opinions and um, kind of understanding of the market. So more of my reading has been around analysis of the industry less so about books but if i was to say the one book that i'm reading at the moment it's matthew Sage's rebel ideas um podcast wise i the last podcast i actually listened to was um how i built this mm. so the series um i forgot the guy's name who has it i've got subscribed in my itunes but how i built this every i think week or two weeks they bring someone new from different industries
0: no, no, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, and he has people from who built Shopify through to Spotify, through to Instagram, through to very like whole. Foods, for example, yeah. starting off from a farm shop through to this. So, I love listening to those type of podcasts where people tell their stories about how they built something because it's always fascinating. You always see a product and you always think, "Oh, how did they get to where they are today?" But they really explain it in. I'd highly recommend that for anyone that's looking to start a business because you actually forget the hardship involved and turning down big offers when people want to buy you, for example. that That is a massive challenge that every business owner that is lucky enough to be in a position to do that will have that. And listening to people who turn down hundreds of millions to then go on to make a billion-dollar company is insane. But Guy is How I Built This is highly recommended by me. And I know we talked previously about Shoe Dog, um, Phil
0: Knight's one, yeah. and that, that felt like a similar thing to a lot of the how I built this stuff, which was like, Phil Knight literally in the formative years of Nike for years, literally living on the edge financially for so, so long. And you can sort of never envisage that now as the multi-billion pound company that is now struggling for such a long period of time. in the shadows of um, uh, of some bigger brands at the time. So I found I found that journey a really interesting
1: one too. Yeah. And if you, whoever's read that shoot, they'll, they'll see the same brand principles that they started off with are still alive today. How they champion athlete, how they put social causes at the forefront beyond anything else. And the way that they run the company when it was making zero profit or a loss, is still the same how they run the company now when they're making whatever profits that they're making nowadays. But yeah. it's so interesting to see from a, I guess a founder's point of view that they stuck to their core principle when they first started. And you you tend to see that across most of the successful businesses. They, they pretty much stick to their core reason why they started off. No, mate. Thank you very much for the chat. It was great to have
0: you on. Um, and hopefully we can, uh, see you face to face sooner rather than later. And, uh take care of yourself and uh, the business.
1: Perfect. I appreciate that. Thanks, Paul.
0: Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, You'll probably also like my book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by Thirteen, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.